Well, this morning, we are diving into our new series called Ordinary Jesus. And uh, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that it's all in lowercase because that's cool. All right. It was a design decision to look neat. Um, and uh, so it was as I was thinking about this this new series and what, what we're going to be doing, it just struck me that we so often think of Jesus in terms of the miraculous, right? We, I feel like we as, as American Christians can so easily think about Jesus as the great king of glory, right? The Jesus who walked on water, the the Jesus that rose from the dead, the Jesus that healed people, the Jesus that fought the devil in the desert kind of thing. Right? I mean, this kind of otherworldly Jesus, this Jesus that walks through walls after his resurrection and just kind of pops into place like he's something out of a Harry Potter movie, right? I mean, it, it's like we, we think about Jesus in terms purely of his divinity. We think about Jesus, I would, I would say, in, in through a gospel lens, through, through the lens of those four gospel stories, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those gospel stories, we see Jesus doing remarkable things. I mean, amazing things. John, his first, his first miracle in the book of John is, is to turn plain old boring water into really good wine. Not non-alcoholic grape juice, real good party wine, right? The good stuff, the stuff that would make all of the desperate housewives jealous, right? I mean, we're, this, is, this is what Jesus does. He takes a couple of fishes and a couple of loaves and feeds thousands of people. Ah, oh, amazing miracles. When you talk to people about Jesus, they're like, yeah, I might believe in Jesus if this Jesus would just kind of show up and do a miracle for me. Right? This, this Jesus that we so often think about is this divine, amazing, miracle-working Jesus. There's nothing wrong with thinking about that, thinking about Jesus in that way. But, there's something more to Jesus. And what's interesting is when you spend some time reading in the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament are these letters, right? These letters written by Paul, written by Peter, written by John, by Jude. These letters were the things that circulated first about Jesus. They were the things that the early church were shaped by. The early church, at the beginning, wasn't shaped by the gospel stories. The gospel stories came later. The gospel stories came in, you know, about 80, 90, somewhere in there. Whereas these letters to the churches, they were circulating really early on. They were circulating, you know, within 15, 20 years of Christ. And what's remarkable to me is as you read through the letters, do you know what you don't see? 
You don't see stories about Jesus' miracles. You don't see this this miracle-working Jesus. You don't see them talking about stories of Jesus turning water into wine or walking on water or stilling, stilling storms or healing people. That's that's not the stories that get circulated about Jesus. At least not to start. What gets circulated about Jesus to start is talk about reconciliation. It's talk about redemption. It's talk about bringing people together. It's talk about how do you love your neighbor? How do you care for people that you really don't like? How do you deal with enemies? How do you... How do you How do you reconcile between us and God? What do we do with this resurrected Messiah? How does he conquer the powers? It's like real life stuff, right? You read through the Gospels and you're like, oh, that's cool. That's some neat, those are neat stories. But you get into Corinthians like we did a number of months ago. Or you get into Romans or Galatians. Colossians, talking about real life stuff. How do we put anger aside, malice aside? How do we take on love and grace and compassion? How do we become merciful people? How do we, how do we begin to shape our lives after this Jesus we claim to follow? What does it look like for us to actually walk in the way of Jesus? Because you see, at the beginning, what they cared about were the real life ramifications of following Christ. And then as time went on, they decided, oh, we're going to tell the story of Jesus. They did what you did with telling the story of Jesus. They, they talked about, they wrote about what he said, and, and they talked about some of the things that he did. But it is amazing to me that that first generation of Christians, that, that time when the church really started to explode, they, it wasn't the stories of him doing miracles. It wasn't the stories of him turning water into wine or healing people. Those weren't the stories that transformed everything. It was the ordinary stuff. It was his teaching. And I think that's one of the things that is amazing that we have in the Gospels. Is we have some of what Jesus taught. We have some of the words that he said. And in the book of Matthew in particular, we have one of the longest sections of Jesus' sayings and teachings in Matthew 5 through 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, was it was it historically just those five to seven chapters, five to seven? Is that all he said in that Sermon on the Mount? No. Because if you sit down and you read the those, you can read chapters five through seven in like less than ten minutes. If that guy had, you know, a few thousand people sitting there, he's talking for more than than a few minutes, right? This is, in Matthew 5 through 7, we get kind of a distillation of what Jesus taught. We get kind of the core of the message of this gospel, of this story that he was telling, of of what he wanted us to know. And what is amazing, as you read through that sermon, as you read through those teachings, it's real life stuff. It's real life stuff. It's not him saying, okay, guys, When someone gets sick, this is how you heal them. That's not in there. It's things like, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love your enemy. Oh, hey, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. I tell you that if you're even angry with your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. It, it, you're talking real life stuff. You're talking the stuff of every day. You're talking the stuff that we deal with all the time. How do we handle being ticked off with our family? How do we handle when our neighbors are jerk faces? What do we do when we, when we come up against people who are mean and rotten? What is our calling in this life? If we're going to say we follow Jesus, how, how, do we, how do we live? What's our responsibility? What are we supposed to do? He touches on all of those things. And it's just ordinary stuff. It's honestly kind of boring. And honestly, it's some of those things that we just skip over to get to the good stuff. Because, yeah, it's a whole bunch of red text in a lot of Bibles. But, you know, it's just him yakking on. Let's get to the excitement, right? Let's, let's get to the fun where he's, you know, taking a nap in the middle of a storm. And, you know, and then he pops up and he's like, Psh! and the storm goes away and all the disciples are freaked out. You know, or here he comes walking on the water. and Yeah, Peter, come walk to me. And Peter walks on the water. How cool is that? I mean, he's in the Middle East. The water's not frozen. Something crazy is happening. That's a cool story. That's way cooler than, than hearing just some teaching. And yet it's the teaching. It's the ordinary stuff of life that really matters most. It really does. Because here's the reality. None of us are going to walk on water. None of us are walking out to an ocean and saying, shh, be at peace. And the storm is going to still. None of us are going to have those experiences. That's reality. But you know what kind of experiences we do have? We've got rotten neighbors. We ourselves are selfish. We ourselves have issues that we need to deal with. We ourselves get angry with people. We ourselves walk through this life trying to do the best we can, and boy, we could use some direction. We, we, need, we need to meet with this ordinary Jesus. This Jesus who walked the dusty streets of Palestine encouraging people to love their neighbors and love their enemies and love their God. That's, we, we need to come in, we kind of need to come into some fresh contact with Him. We need to spend a little bit of time looking at just this ordinary Jesus, this Jesus of everyday life, this Jesus who, who impacts our lives beyond Christmas and Easter. Christmas is great. It's an amazing time. Easter is everything. Without the resurrection, none of us are here. And yet, those are two days, two moments. What about the rest of it? And so that's what we're going to spend some time doing, is we are going to spend some time looking at this ordinary Jesus. And... So we're going to pick it up here in Matthew chapter 5. And you'll notice in your bulletin uh, an insert because we are going to use the message for this series exclusively. And the reason for that is a lot of the passages, the majority of the passages that we're going to look at are ones that for, for those of us who have been going to church for a long, long time are very familiar. And even for those of us that haven't gone to church, 
but are just American, they're very, very familiar. Because a lot of the verses and passages and stories that we're going to look at during this, this series are the ones that have kind of become a part of our culture. They've kind of slipped in, and there's part of kind of part of the language. But we haven't really thought about them. We haven't really explored them in depth. And so that's what we're going to do. And uh, so we're going to pick it up here in Matthew chapter 5 in these uh, first 12 verses. And it goes like this. It says, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Now, where we historically think the Sermon on the Mount took place um, is on kind of near the Sea of Galilee, up on this hillside. And this area is a strange natural phenomenon. It has perfect acoustics. Absolutely perfect. When I was there a number of years ago, and we were standing up at the top of this hill, and you can look down over the Sea of Galilee, there was a semi-truck. Not really a semi-truck. Probably maybe like a, maybe like a 10-foot U-Haul type truck down at the waters, at the road, kind of between the hill and the water, right? And it looked like a matchbox car from where we were standing. To give you some perspective, we were a long way away from this 10, 15, 10 to 15 foot diesel truck. And it sounded like it was right next to us. I mean, it was, it was loud. And so here's Jesus sitting up on this hillside, teaching out to however many, this huge crowd of people. And, many, and you wonder, how could they have heard him? Well, he was in this spot that had perfect acoustics. He could talk out and they could hear him. It is, it is amazing. It is, to be honest with you, a preacher's dream. It is, it is outstanding. The acoustics in here are great. But holy smokes, it was, it was kind of fun to be able to stand up there and know that like somebody could hear me talking from a long way away. It was really cool. Um, so this is where Jesus begins to teach. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out 
or speak lies about you to discredit me. When it means is what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. This is God's word. Nine nine times, nine blessings, nine hashtag blessed, right? This word, this word blessed is all over our culture. You you watch uh, I mean shoot. I didn't watch the post game from the football game last night because it was way too late at night and I was already too tired. Um, but I got to imagine in every interview, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You watch the Grammys, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, every other Facebook post or Instagram post, hashtag blessed. Everything is blessed. Hashtag blessed is everywhere. It's, it's the deal. But we don't really think too much about it. We just throw it out there. I don't, I don't even know if we really understand what it means anymore. I think so often we just think it means, well, I've been given good stuff. I got some, I got some comfort. I got some, you know, consumer goods. I got what I, I got some of my wants. Man, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And yet, we read through here, and it is an upside down kind of thing. When we, when we discover our blessing, it is in the midst of the hard stuff. It's in the midst of, of when things have gone wrong. And then, in, in, in that moment, when God kind of flips things over, upside down, we go, oh, I really am blessed. Wow. God has done a thing for me. God has met me in the dark place. God has met me in the hardship of my life. God has met me when I am at the end. That's what it is to be blessed. It is to know that we walk through this world not alone. It is to know that when we walk through the hard things in this world, when we walk through hardship, that that God is meeting us in those places, that God is, is going to ultimately redeem those things. Right? I mean, look at this. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. When we come to the end of ourselves, when, when we can't do it anymore, when we finally get to the place where we go, all right, I, I don't know. I don't know, God. When we get there, now all of a sudden, it's like God shows up. And I think for some of us, we can look at our lives and we can look at those places where we have come to the end of our rope. When we have walked to the end and said, I just don't know. And we look back on that and go, oh my gosh, look what God did. Look what God did. Does it through people? Does it through circumstances? But more often than not, it requires us coming to the end of our rope. Remember, the Scriptures don't tell us that God is not going to give us more than we can handle. The Scriptures do not tell us that. It says that nowhere. What it says is, 
God will not tempt, we will not be tempted by more than we can bear. In other words, we can always bear up against the temptations that, that come before us. God gives us more than we can handle all the time. All the time. Every married woman in this place is going, yep, God has given me more than I can handle. All the time. And they look next to, and they look at their husband. Right? I mean, <laughs> the husbands are all going, no, no, no. This is not fair. It's fair. Trust me. Um, this, is, this is how it works. So we come, when we come to the end, God meets us. He says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Again, when, when we are at our lowest point, when, when it seems as though there is, there is nothing left, when we've lost that which we count most dear, it is there that God embraces us because we are finally open to being embraced by the divine. It, it, is, this, it is this upside down thing. And this is what blessing looks like. It is us being met by God at the end of our ropes in the deepest despair. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You see, when we get to that place where, where, we, where we know ourselves, where we are so content, we get, to, we get to experience this world with an overwhelming sense of joy. How do we find joy in the world? We become content with who we are. One of my, one of the, one of the um, young ladies in our congregation, Ypsilanti, she, she is the most content person with who she is. I have never met a person who is more comfortable in their own skin than my friend Olivia. She is just, it's like, this is who I am. And I don't really care what you think. And you know what? She has more, I, I swear she has more fun than anyone. She laughs easy. She smiles all the time. Everywhere she goes, it is just fun. She is just always having fun. She is entertaining herself all the time and does not care what anyone else thinks. What a way to go through life. That is, that is a young woman who knows what it is to be blessed. And yet she has walked through pain unthinkable when her dad died a few years ago. And yet, joy, happiness exudes from her. Why? Because she is so content in who she is. And so, she has everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. When you begin to realize that that chasing after God is the best, then it's like, it's like everything gets colored in. Everything becomes more, more vibrant. When you start trying to pursue the creator instead of the created, it's like, it's like the world gets turned. It's like the prism spins. And you go, oh my God. I've never seen such beauty. Oh, this is amazing. Right? It's, 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 it's got to be, it's probably sort of like that first time. I, I remember 
I remember my like walking into Tiger Stadium for the first time. And I'd watched, you know, I'd only watched Tigers on TV. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So it's not like we had high def television, right? It wasn't black and white, thank goodness. But it wasn't real. It wasn't wasn't high def. It was still kind of, eh. Man, you come through that tunnel, right? Through that tunnel, and you come out behind home plate, and it's kind of dark in the concourse, and you come out, and the sun is beaming, and, and the grass is, is a different kind of green like I had never seen before. The, the dirt, the clay infield, that kind of reddish brown, that just it just didn't look real. The smell of the popcorn and the hot dogs, the sounds of, of, the, of the people shilling beer and dogs, and it just it, it was it's just one of those things. It changes you forever. When you start following, when you start seeking God that way in all of life, it, it does that to everything. All of a sudden, when you start, when you realize that every person you come into contact with is, is an image bearer of the Creator. All of a sudden, you become super interested in their stories. You, you, you just want you want to know. You want to know what's God done in your life. Like the curiosity, it just becomes overwhelming. And every single person's life is vibrant and rich. It is it is absolutely an amazing thing that happens when you've worked up a good appetite for God. You're blessed when you care. At the moment you're being careful, you find yourselves cared for. And I really like the way that Eugene Peterson does this with his little hyphenated word. Peterson is great with making up new words, right? Care, hyphen, full, F-U-double-L. Not careful, not like, oh, little Johnny, don't hurt yourself. No, full of care. Caring to the fullest extent. When we seek to care for others, this amazing thing happens. We begin to see how we, in turn, are also being cared for. It is this, it is this weird thing that as we, as we put that into the world, into, the, into God's creation, we get it right back. Our, our God meets us there. We are blessed when we do that. We are blessed when we get our inside world, our mind and heart put right. Then we can see God in the outside world. So much of what colors how we see what's going on out here is what's happening in here. Is your, is your mind and heart right with God? And, and I think here's one of the tests, is if you look out on the world and all you see is awfulness, if, if you look at the world and go, it's all bad, it's terrible, there is no hope, we're all bad. It's over. Might as well just mail it in. This world has gone to this world has not just gone to hell in a handbasket. It's in hell. We it, this this is what it is. If you look out at the world and that's what you see, then I think you need to we need to do some work in here. We need to do some work in our hearts, in our minds, because that's not the world that's out here. This world that is out here, while yes, it is messy. Yes. It is sick. Yes, it needs a physician. It is also beautiful. 
There is amazing things happening. And you can just look around at the people in this room and hear the stories of the good and the beauty that is happening just in your lives. Now multiply that by a few billion. And the world is not that awful. There is good and there is beauty out in that world. There are redemptive things happening all the time in the world. It is remarkable. Just watch, honestly, just watch College Game Day every Saturday morning on ESPN. It makes my wife so mad because every Saturday we're watching College Game Day. They always tell that one redemptive story about some kid on one of the teams, and you always cry. You always cry because it's so beautiful. You're like, oh my gosh, how could this happen in this world? It is so amazing, and it moves your emotions. Because guys, there is beauty and good in this world. How do we know that? Because Christ rose from the dead, and he has reconciled all things. He is setting all things right. And so when we look around at the world, and if all we see is darkness and pain and awful, then there is something wrong in us. If we don't see the redemptive good and the beauty that is happening out in the world, then we've got to do some work in us because there is good and beauty out in that world. This is what is the result of the resurrection. It says you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. If that's not a word for our day and age, I don't know what is. Standing in the middle, standing in the tension, standing between the two sides and saying, no, we're not going to compete. We're going to come together. We're going to meet here. We're, I'm gonna, I am willing to stand in the tension and try to pull these two things together and bring them to a place of reconciliation. That. That is the work of a gospel person. That is hard, and you will not be liked because of it. You will be called a flip-flopper. You'll be called someone who doesn't stand for anything, therefore you'll fall for everything. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be accused of two-sidesism, right? All kinds of things that people will call you names because you won't line up with their tribe. And this tribe over here won't like you because they won't line up you won't line up with their tribe. The place of the follower of Jesus is standing in between the two sides of this world and seeking to pull them together in the tension and reconciling them around love and truth and grace and mercy. That is a scary and hard place to live. And yet that is the very place we are called to be. Not to compete. Not to try to win. Not to try to get power. No, no, no. We, we are called to bring these, this world together, to unite it around love, grace, mercy, compassion. We are to stand in that tension, and we are to pull people together. If you're reading this in the NIV, this is the peacemaker verse, right? Not peacekeepers, peacemakers. That is an act of creation. That is something that we have to do. Peacekeeping is just, okay, don't be mad anymore. Peacemakers are taking, some, are taking the, the, the tension, they're taking the pain, they're taking it, and they're changing it into something else, they're bringing it to a place of wholeness. It is a creative act, and that is what we are called to do. 
And that, that is hard. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. It's your commitment to God, not because you're a, a jerk. Too many times in our, in our world today, we, we, too many of us Christians think I'm being persecuted because we've just been rude. And people say, you're rude. And we say, well, you're persecuting me. No, no, you're just being rude. You're not being loving. You're being unkind. We, if we're going to enter into the tension of being peacemakers, we're going to enter into conflict. Like that's, that's, that's a reality. You're going to step into it. But you step into it through love. You don't step into it in name-calling. You don't step into it by yelling at people. You don't step into it by being snide and snarky and nasty. That's, that's, not, that's not the way. That's just you being a jerk. And if you get persecuted because you're being a jerk, you kind of deserve it. You're not being persecuted because of your commitment to God. You're being persecuted because of your commitment to yourself and a desire to be right. And that is a fine line that we have got to walk these days. So it's not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. Again, this, these last two blessings are Jesus-centered things. They're God-centered things. They're not me-centered things. It's not about us. When, when we, if I write something, 99% of the things that I, that I write or publish on the internet are completely ignored. Nobody cares. Nobody comments. Maybe I get a few likes here and there, whatever. If I write something about loving your enemy, I get emails. I get nasty comments. I get, I had to block somebody this week off my social media. Like, you know, why? He said, love, 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 love the people you hate. Love those people. People lose their minds. Why? Why? Because they're so deeply threatened. They're so deeply threatened by that. Because it makes them so deeply uncomfortable. And, and when you start saying, yeah, go love the people that so many other people hate, then all of a sudden, they think you're compromising the gospel. Guess what? When you go love your enemy, you're not compromising the gospel. You're living the gospel. When you, go, when you go love the people on the fringes, you're not compromising gospel. You're living gospel. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you do the things, you know, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. When it means, what it means is that the truth is too close to comfort and they are uncomfortable. And you can be glad when that happens. But it has to be about Jesus. It has to be about pursuing the things of Christ. You see, what happens is, we, as we pursue this blessing, as we seek to find what it means to be blessed in the way of Jesus, in this ordinary way of Jesus, it is in our pursuit of following His way. Every one of these things is upside down stuff. Every one of these blessings is the reverse of what our world tells us to pursue. Nothing in here matches up with the American dream. Everything in here is upside down from it. We're not blessed when life is easy. 
Jesus says, no, you're blessed when life is hard. Well, if I knew that, maybe I wouldn't follow Jesus. Right? Someone should have told me that beforehand. I mean, this is, this is tough stuff. Blessing in the way of Jesus is when life gets hard. We find our blessing when life isn't perfect, when it's a struggle, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of our rope, when we're at the bottom of the pit. That is where we find blessing. And you know what? That's real life. That is an ordinary Jesus. That is a Jesus that meets us in, in the hard times. That's the kind of Jesus that we can get on, that I can get on board with. Yeah, it's not an exciting Jesus. It's not the Jesus that's walking on water. It's not the Jesus that's walking around and healing people left and right. It is this Jesus that when I'm lying awake in bed with stress, frustration, when there's conflict in my life that I haven't dealt with, that I don't want to deal with, that's the Jesus that meets me and says, no, you're blessed. Here, let me show you. Let me walk with you through that. This ordinary Jesus meets us in these very real ways. And so, my challenge to you this week, what I would love for you to consider, is to look at those nine blessings. Is to spend some time meditating on those nine. And ask yourself this question. Which one? Which which one, which one am I walking through right now? And which one, which one do I need to embrace more? Which one do I need to really pursue? Do I really need to understand that if I can stand in this place, I will experience the blessing of God? Because my hunch is, each of us are walking through one. Each of us are, are living in the midst of one of those. And each of us are also probably looking at one of those and going, yeah, no, I'm not touching that. Not touching that. Like, for me, that peacemaker thing is scary stuff. That, that standing in the middle and trying to hold tent. Man, I love being a part of a tribe. I love having a team. I love, I love fighting for one side or the other. And to say, no, i got to stand here in the middle, like Spider-Man pulling together the, the ripped apart, you know, boat or whatever, or the bridge, it's like, no, that, that's hard. That's really hard. So what are you walking through? And what, what is the one that you are most struggling with, considering being a part of? So would you, would you pray with me?